Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Did every Big 12 team that lost this weekend, are they on the hook for the loss? Was it a bad loss? We break that down and more on today's Neighborhood Watch. I am your host, Josh Neighbors, here on Crystal Ball College Football, part of the 365 Sports Network, the best place for five-plus days a week of Big 12 content. Make sure you all like the video, subscribe to the channel, find us wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube as well. If you guys cannot watch the show on YouTube, we are available. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of those places, you all can find the Neighborhood Watch uh, amongst the other shows on Crystal Ball College Football and 365 Sports. Find us on X slash Twitter at NWPod365. Find me at Josh Neighbors underscore Big 12 Picks. Another strong week for us. Uh, three in one week. I think we are now 20 and 15, something like that. Uh, 20 and 16 maybe. Uh, but a good week for us when it comes to the Big 12 Picks, somewhere in that range. But we're back, way back on track after a strong week this week so yeah I, I usually do the on the hook and then hard times i guess we'll just cue dusty roads right now on a on a monday kick him in the butt and say hey a computer took your place daddy that's hard time so i let teams off the hook each week and then i tell you who's on hard times this week and i guess we're back to everybody because here's the thing like there were some losses where the, the one team losing to another is okay but the way each team lost, I don't think was okay. I, I don't like. I think uh, you know you, you're kind of upset about the way that most everybody lost this weekend in the Big Twelve Conference across the board. So I'll kind of just go chronologically through all of this. West Virginia loses forty-one thirty-nine to Houston, and so if you're West Virginia, I saw our buddy Coos on Twitter. Just saying, like, we ought to move on. It was a tough loss. And, um, you know, losing like that, like, it's a really difficult way to lose. And I think that's why it's it's hard times. I also think, too, the situation going into it, you had a spot you know, going up against your former coach where you could have gotten to 5-1, and one, right? In a season where expectations were very low from the outside, picked and finished last in the league by the media, there is a whole lot of nobody believes in us. And now there is belief. You're like, all right, let's keep this train rolling. Let's try and keep this train on the tracks. Keep getting wins. Keep proving the doubters wrong. And it's obviously very difficult to watch West Virginia go down and lose that way. Um, I would say, too, to watch them have the penalty on Garrett Green, then watch them give up the short little pass that put them in position, to watch Manjack, uh, whatever his name is, uh, tip it up in the air. And then obviously, Stefan Johnson comes down with it. It's just a really difficult way to lose. And I think, too, like you're really worried now about momentum, right? Does this kind of loss have a negative impact on your ball club moving forward? 
Do you trust Neil Brown to be able to stem the tide of whatever loss just happened and continue the positive momentum moving forward? Can you keep that? Because they've got a huge game this week at home against Oklahoma State. So I would say that, yeah, that's a hard loss. That is a hard loss because the focus of the team might shift. Now, their focus has been singular, even I would say, you know, before the Penn State loss and after the Penn State loss. But this was the most that West Virginia's defense took it on the chin in any game we've seen them play this year. Uh, or, I, you know, I think since that game. Like, the first half was pretty strong. And then Houston, second half, they scored 27 points. Donovan Smith, you know, barely misses a pass. Uh, also, a lack of focus there near the end zone with a drop touchdown that turns into the INT. I think for all of those reasons, it makes it a difficult loss. I think all the reasons you go back and watch the game, you could argue, hey, like maybe Houston should have cruised a bit more to a win. You could argue, hey, West Virginia should have been up two scores. But games like that often do come down to the wire. And so on its face, like I guess the loss is not that bad. Then you kind of consider in all the factors, all the momentum they had, everything that was going West Virginia's way in terms of the season that's what makes you lament this loss, in my opinion, at least, a little bit more compared to uh, other losses. Like the Penn State loss is not that bad of a loss. This feels like a bad loss for all of the reasons that I just listed. So that brings you to Saturday's losses for Big 12 teams. For Kansas, that is a bad loss. I thought for a large portion of the second half that Kansas appeared to be the better team than Oklahoma State, at least on offense, the way things were going for Jason Bean. But you have him getting stripped. You have him throwing a bad interception. Uh, so I and look, he's your backup. There's a reason I guess he is the backup. But you didn't get the running game going at all. You had your backup quarterback throw for 410 yards and five touchdowns, and he was cooking. He was finding Mason Fairchild. They found Skinner. They found Arnold. They found, I mean, they were, the entire passing game was really working. And Oklahoma State did a very good job shutting down the run. I think we have to definitely admit that. Um, and also, like, you didn't turn over Oklahoma State either, which is something where you look at the, you know, the way that, that Kansas normally wins, like, you have to turn over teams. So the fact that KU was not able to establish the run, and they didn't turn over Oklahoma State makes me think, well, like, you know, that's not, they almost won in the way they're not really accustomed to doing it. But the fact that your quarterback played as well as he did in the last few plays, there were some issues. And once I know the offsides thing is a, is a debate. And I think we're kind of rounding the corner to the point now where it seems like, hey, he probably wasn't offsides or wasn't out offsides or in that game, later on in that game. Um, but still, like, just got to take better care of the ball if you're Jason Bean. So look, Kansas was almost in a spot where they had a backup quarterback go on the road and play that well and be six and one at the middle point of October and be bow eligible. And so this is not that bad of a, like they, they were so close, just like West Virginia, right? They were so close to accomplishing something that would have been so significant for the program. And I think that's what makes this loss hurt the most. They were really close to accomplishing something really good for the program. Um, but they, they, 
they weren't able to do a lot of the things I think that we're used to, you know, seeing KU do. Like they ran for 3.1 yards a carry. In totality, they only ran for 90 yards on 29 carries. They did not run for a touchdown in this game. Their defense was gashed both through the air and on the ground. And uh, the fact that they were at the end is nice, but still, what was on the line for them and the fact that, hey, they were able to to be involved in what was a, a Big 12 title race for a minute here, that's what makes this loss hurt. Although I will say, like, I'm not, I'm not over, I'm not, I'm not like overly upset if I'm a Kansas fan. I'm upset about how it went down, but I'm not, it's not the end of the world. Um, I would go for, so for Cincinnati, you know, like I losing to Iowa state, it's not bad. Losing to Iowa state 30 to 10 at home is bad. Um, you're at a point now where like Emory Jones is not a, is not a big 12, uh, caliber starter 14 for 26 for 96, one touchdown, two INTs. They ran for three and a half carry. Um, but this game guy, second half, like it got sideways on him. It was 17, seven and a half time. And and Iowa State put it on them. And I was able to turn this game off at the end. Iowa State was up uh, 13 multiple points. They extended the lead to 20 in the second half and, you know, able to maintain that 20-point lead. This game was not that competitive. It was not that close. It did not end up being within a margin. So if you're Cincinnati, I know you're not very good, but you're 2-4 and four overall. You're 0-3 in conference. You are one of the worst teams in the league. Excuse me. You've got Baylor coming up uh, this week at home, so maybe a chance to get a Big Twelve win. But you know, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Cincinnati gets one. I really am. This is the best chance that they'll have. Iowa State at home was a good chance. Baylor at home is a good chance. And right now, you're looking back earlier on the season. Um, they do not have a, a Power Five win at home. Their only FBS win, or yeah, their only FBS win was Pitt on the road. This is now a situation, guys, where it's been a calendar month since victory. This this, this program, or this, you know, we knew Scott Satterfield would have some difficulties in year number one. That is okay, in my opinion, totally acceptable. But the way in which it's going, you're not feeling you're not feeling good about it. Uh, 31-24 Miami of Ohio, okay. That's a bad loss, we have to admit that. 20 to 6 against Oklahoma. Okay, Oklahoma's really good. But man, it was pretty anemic, right? 35-27. You outplayed BYU for a large swath of that game. And Iowa State kind of pillar to post, took you behind the woodshed and whipped your tail after that first touchdown that you scored, right? I think it was 7 nothing Bearcats at one point. Past that. No sir. No siree. It's not good. Yeah, it was oh three nothing. Yeah, seven three. And after that, Iowa State outscored you, uh, what, 27 to three? So Cincinnati is in a bad spot. We kind of knew they would be in a bad spot after losing a coach like a Luke Fickle. It's going to take Scott Satterfield, I think, I, I think, more than one season to get this thing turned around. Like, it's not a quick fix, in my opinion, uh, Cincinnati at this point in time. So the loss, losing to Matt Campbell and Iowa State, not bad, but losing to this version of Iowa State by that many points at home. Yeah, you shouldn't feel very good about that. And I think it's pretty safe to say you shouldn't feel very good about that. TCU 44, BYU 11. Same thing applies here. Losing to TCU is not a problem. Losing to this TCU team by that many? Yeah, I, I wouldn't feel very good about it either. 
a 33-point game. This game was never close. This game never felt close. This was one of those talent gap, they exploited it all the way type games. And so you lost to an opponent you should have lost to. But this opponent exploited all of your inadequacies that a lot of us had pointed out for a majority of the year. If you've watched BYU this year and you had watched their games, they were four and one, but the Sam Houston game is not a game you felt good about. The Southern Utah game, it's that's fine, 41-16. The at Arkansas game is one you can feel really good about because of the way that they responded, because the way that they handled things in that game. I was very impressed in that 38-31 victory, but you scored 38 points in a game where you had 281 yards of total offense. You were 4 of 13 on third down. You know what I mean? You were just the right side of the penalty battle. You uh, really did a good job with the uh, on third down. You got off the field. You forced some big turnovers, right, uh, as well. You cashed in on a short field. You did all the things that opportunistic teams should do. You're going to lose to Kansas. wasn't a bad loss at all, in my opinion, right? You beat Cincinnati in a game where you didn't really outplay them. And, like, you know, this is not a good Cincinnati team. And you were at home on a Friday night, and you had to grind and work to get that victory. And then you have a bye, you get a TCU, you get dog walked, right? And you could not hang with their athletes. And this is one area, obviously, where I think BYU, Kalani Sataki, the fan base, everybody understands that, look, building up that level of talent, building up a team to compete with that level of talent, those are the things that take time. It's going to take time for BYU to be in a position where they can compete with a team like that. Um, I think that's totally safe to say. It's not being unfair to them to say it. It's not being unfair to the players to say it. I think it's a totally rational way to look at it. That's going to take some time. The problem was it was a 30-point ass-kicking, 33-point ass-kicking against a down BY, against a down TCU team that was playing a backup quarterback in his first start. So once again, like you're seeing with all these losses, right? It's not all good. It's not all bad, but it's, it is hard times because it's a reminder. Like I think for Cincinnati and BYU, especially these games are reminders of how far you have to go in a league like this. You've, you've had some nice moments so far that Cincinnati win for BYU is nice. There are some nice moments sprinkled in there, but like in terms of programs, you have a long way to go. And these games were reminders. 30 to 10, kind of a slow drubbing um, for Cincinnati. And then this just explosive 44 to 11 win for TCU, kind of like both in different ways, bring those programs inadequacies to bear. And that's okay that those things happen. They're happening for teams that are currently in the Big 12 as well. Um, and then finally, the last one, Texas Tech. So Texas Tech losing to Avery Johnson, like they prepared probably for Avery Johnson. They knew he'd be out there, right, in some capacity, but they did not know he'd be taking over as a starter. And uh, they blocked some things up, guys, where Texas Tech just got blown off the ball. A week after, they looked really good up front against Baylor. They got blown off the ball, and uh, Kansas State found it pretty easy to do the football. And then the, the 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 reason why though you might make some excuses for Texas Tech is the fact that Jake Strong had to play quarterback for you, right? The freshman 
from Justin, Texas, did not think he'd be having to play a whole lot. This is the first game that he saw action in. And you could tell this was the first game that he saw action in. There was some good, but there was a lot of bad, and he was not ready for the moment. And so I will say this, guys. And look, I don't know if it's a combination of being unlucky. I don't know if it's just the way Texas Tech offense has worked right now. There's some questions about Zach Kitley right now. But Texas Tech on back-to-back seasons is having to use their third-string quarterback. Last year, Baron Morton, Donovan Smith, and Tyler Shuck all played and all were pressed into action. This year, Baron Morton, Tyler Shuck, and now Jake Strong all have had to play, and at least the first two both got dinged up. So there are some questions about how to protect quarterbacks better in this system. Is there even a way to do it? Is it the right offensive system for Texas Tech? Do they have to maintain this identity? Is this always going to be who, you know, who they are? Because right now, guys, this looks like really the same tech program we saw last year, like up and down with the potential for some big up moments. And now they're three and four, two and two in the league. And they've got at BYU this week, a Thursday against TCU at home. They're at KU, UCF at Texas. So they need to go three and two the rest of the way to secure a bowl uh, bowl game. Do I think they can? Yeah, I definitely think so. But like they might be guys. There's a situation where five and six Texas Tech is taking on um, you know Texas the last week of the year, needing a win on the road in Austin to get themselves into a bowl game. And yikes, that is not a situation you want to be in, right? Um, but you know, for them to, for them to get there or, you know, for them to not make that a uh, situation, they have to win three of the next four. They need to beat at BYU. They have to win Texas tech. They got to beat at KU. They got to beat UCF. Like they need three of four in that stretch. It's not an easy stretch to avoid the situation we just talked about. And so Joey McGuire's team, they might have an idea of what they want to do, what they want to be like. They might be showing us in some of these games. The problem is they cannot manifest it week in and week out. And that's their big issue right now. They're having a tough time delivering consistent results. And this game is just another example of that against Kansas State. In your own house, nonetheless. That's what also hurts, too. This was in Texas Tech's own building, in Jones AT&T Stadium, and they were still not able to deliver uh, a consistent result, a consistent product. And I think that's why, if I'm them... I'm feeling so concerned in the top 25 when it comes to big 12 football, actually basketball here in a second, uh, top 20, top 25 in big 12 football guys. It's still just two teams. It is still Oklahoma at number six. Who's down a spot. Thanks to Washington jumping up and Texas Longhorns are at number nine who were on the bye week. And also they jumped up a spot. Thanks to Oregon losing. Uh, and uh, Oklahoma State received a vote. That was nice to see, right? Nice to see them. Uh, Kansas is receiving votes. They got 23 of them. So they are still receiving votes in the top 25. But there is nobody else receiving. Oh, uh, West Virginia had one vote to be in the top 25. So uh, the Big 12, still just two teams and still the two outgoing teams. Kansas has a chance to break back into the top 25. But uh, as it stands right now, only two Big 12 teams in the top 25 and then Oklahoma State, West Virginia, both of the vote. Kansas with 23 votes to be in 
the top 25. We did get the top 25, though, for college basketball. The first rankings, AP top 25 in college hoops. The Kansas Jayhawks lead the way. They get 46 first place votes. That puts them at number one in the country. Uh, Duke, Purdue, Michigan State, and UConn all receiving first place votes. Uh, Houston, number seven in the country. Number 11, Gonzaga, potentially a future Big 12 member. Future Big 12 member Arizona is number 12 in the nation heading into the season. Big 12 member outgoing. Texas is number 18 in the country. Number 20, we have the Baylor Bears. And receiving votes, 49 of them. Future for, uh, Big 12 member Colorado. 24 for the TCU Horn Frogs. Jerome Tang's Kansas State outfit receives 13. I expect that we will see them in the top 25 this year. So uh, just to recap, number 20, Baylor. It's number uh, the one team in there. Second team is Texas, uh, number 18 in the country. Uh, Houston getting seven votes is uh, the fourth team, or the third team rather than the fourth team is the Kansas Jayhawks. I'm sure we'll see many more Big 12 teams crack the top 25 this season. Uh, you cannot rank them before, but once the season hits, guys, we all know Big 12 hoops always comes and delivers. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at NWPod365. Find me at Josh Neighbors underscore as well. Make sure you guys find this show wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. All right, folks, we'll talk to you all tomorrow.